Good morning, Newtown Road. My name is Tyler McClure. I'm the Youth and Families Pastor here, and I want to say welcome to you and your family uh, for joining us on our stream this morning. Whether you are following on YouTube or Facebook Live, we want to say thank you for being a part of what God's doing in and through our church. And although this isn't uh, our first choice, we love that we have the opportunity to connect in this way. And so um, we want to know that you are here and you're with us. So let us know in the comments below. But also, if you could do us a favor and take a minute to fill out the communication card, letting us know you're here, whether you are a first-time guest or you've been here for years, and we would really appreciate that. And then I have a few really quick announcements uh, so that you know what's happening in and around our church this week and in the weeks to come. Um, first is this, tonight at 7 o'clock is our varsity night. And I'm so pumped for this night because it's a student-led Zooth group. Our high school students are taking charge. They've planned they're executing um, everything from the graphics and the games and the, the announcements to the, ser the sermon itself in the small groups is going to be student-led. And so if you know someone in grades 6 to 12, we want you to be involved with that. Invite your friends. Give them the link personally. If you need the link to that Zooth group, email tyler at newtownroad.org, and I would be happy to give that to you. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. Come join us for that. We also have kids things and family things going on throughout the week, so make sure you stay up to date on our website and on Facebook uh, about what's happening in our kids' ministry. And then we also want to say thank you for um, what you're doing to give to our, our food pantries in the bin that's outside the office. We've been able to partner with some amazing uh, organizations that are feeding people during this time. And so continue, please continue to, to give and donate food items to that bin. Uh, and our office, speaking of our office, our office is now officially back open from 9 to 3.30, Monday through Thursday. And so if you need something, uh, give us a call, stop by, and we can help you out with whatever you need in the office. And then I want to say, as I do every week, thanks for your continued faithfulness in your giving, your tithes, and your offerings. They're a blessing to our church. God is using you in ways you would never know. And so we love you, we care for you, and we appreciate, again, that you are here with us this morning. We hope you enjoy the service. Well, good morning there, Newtown Road. It's so good to see you again this morning. Thank you, Pastor Tyler, for uh, sharing some announcements with us. I am so glad that you have decided to join with us this morning. Now, before we get too far ahead of ourselves and into the Bible teaching today, I wanted to share with you some good news and provide some important updates uh, for our church family. So as we all know, here in the capital region of New York, we entered phase one of reopening last week, but churches were not included in that phase. And, and thankfully, from the office of the president, we are essential now. Congratulations. But we already knew that, right? We, we already knew that the church was essential. We were the light of the world. We are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We're the body and the bride of Christ through our life and through our ministry among our neighbors and in our communities, through our involvement there, we show people what it means to know and to follow Jesus. We're his hands and feet. We have always been essential, every one of us. We didn't need the president to tell us that, but we were all very excited to get the news that we were recognized as essential. And some of you have been wondering, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we can rush back to our large in-person gatherings just yet. It does mean, however, that we won't need to wait as long to reopen. 
we can begin that process earlier. It, it was originally forecast that churches would have to wait until schools went back, until recreational activities were coming back, and before they could open up. So this allows us to get started earlier. Now, last, uh, just earlier this week, uh, the governor's office released some updated guidelines for essential businesses and for churches. And unfortunately, at this point, those guidelines and restrictions still don't allow for us to hold large in-person gatherings here in our buildings. And we're all tired of, of quarantine. We are all anxious to get back, but we wanna make sure that we honor uh, the Lord and honor our governing authorities and do this safely. However, our elders and our staff have decided to try something else. We are going to host an outdoor service here at the church on Sunday, June 14th, right in the lawn of our office building. At 10 a.m. here at church, weather permitting, you'll come, you'll sit with your family, uh, either on the lawn, in your chairs or blankets, or you can remain in your car. The choice will be yours. We will be practicing good social distancing. For all of you introverts, it'll look like church normally does. You'll hide from people and not talk to anybody and won't shake hands. It'll be great. We'll sing together. We will pray together. We will study the Bible together all on our campus again. Now, if you're part of the vulnerable or at-risk um, population of our church, please consider staying home. We will still have the video feed here on Facebook and on YouTube for you that day at 10 as well. We're going to have some more details for you next week uh, as far as how to register and, and um, get you signed up for that. But for now, if you're comfortable, plan to join us Sunday morning, 10 a.m. on uh, June 14th, uh, right here on our campus. We can't wait to see you. Uh, I'll be the one in the mask. You'll be able to spot me. Okay. This week, we are back in our series in Mark. Uh, last week, we saw Peter's great confession. Remember, he said to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What an amazing thing that God had revealed to, to Peter, the identity of Jesus. But even with all that progress, Peter wasn't quite getting it. Do you remember? When Jesus taught the disciples about how the road to glory would be one that led through suffering, Peter tried to rebuke him. And now today we're going to listen in as Jesus provides a little more clarity and explanation on what it really means to be his disciple, what it really means to follow him. He gives, for lack of a better term, a very clear gospel invitation, but probably not like the invitations that we in the evangelical church are used to. Our, our invitations, they usually sound something like this. You are a great sinner, and you have a need for a great Savior, and Jesus is that great Savior. So ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and save you. And that is definitely part of the invitation to Christian discipleship. But the part that's missing from that kind of invitation is probably the hardest part. And that's the part that Jesus talks about today. He's going to help His disciples and us see that a life following Jesus isn't for the faint of heart, nor is it for the divided of heart. If you're following along with us, we are in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 34 today and read all the way through to chapter 9, verse 1. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my, of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for our gathering this morning, even as we are spread out over the capital region. We pray, God, today that you would unite and strengthen your church through the preaching and teaching of your word and through the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would sustain us and grow us, that our minds would be opened, that our hearts would be softened, that you would strengthen us to obey all that you command us to do. And we pray this morning that you would, in your grace, speak the word of God to us, that we might know you and understand what it is to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So this morning, as we're working through these verses here, we're going to make some observations on the call of discipleship. What does a life with Jesus, walking with him and serving him and obeying him, what does that really entail? Is it as simple as believe and confess? Is it as simple as asking Jesus into our hearts, which is like the most popular way that we describe salvation today? Or is it possible that Jesus describes the life of discipleship in slightly different terms this morning? Here in the passage that we're looking at, he offers some thoughts on what it means to follow him. And I've arranged my thoughts here around three sets of opposing statements. And I hope you'll be able to follow along. The, the first thing that we see is this, that the life of discipleship involves setting aside and taking up. In verse 34, the crowd and the disciples are gathering in close to Jesus and he offers that invitation. If anyone would come after me. If somebody from the crowd, if somebody from this group in front of me, if somebody wants to be a follower of mine, if they want to join my band of disciples, they want to hit the road with us, if they have had their eyes opened by God to the reality of who I am and they're willing to join us, then here is what that looks like, he says to the crowd. Let him deny himself. You see, the first thing that Jesus points out is that a disciple must deny himself, must lay himself down, must set himself aside. What a, what a challenging statement. What does he mean here when he says, deny yourself? Is he talking about living like a monk with some, some harsh treatment of my body and strict asceticism it, where I have to meditate in silence for 20 hours a day and refuse to eat certain meals? Well, well no. Actually, Paul in his epistles addresses that and says, no, that's not what the gospel is even about. That's not the spirit of self-denial that Jesus highlights here. Instead, Jesus is teaching us that to be his disciple means, among other things, a willingness to surrender all of our lives to his leadership. Denying ourselves means setting aside our goals, our aspirations, our agendas, our worldviews, and allowing Christ to rule over all of those too. It means, denying ourselves means that we hold our identity as a follower of Jesus as the supreme priority in our lives. And we view everything else as, a, as subservient to that primary calling. 
Mark and Matthew's gospel here share this story in almost exactly the same terms. But Luke's gospel provides a little more meat to the conversation in chapter 14 verse 26 of that gospel. Where Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Okay, so that's a little more direct, right? Jesus is using hatred here to communicate rejection or to communicate laying down or denying. And what he's saying to the disciples is that if your family ties are more important to you than being my disciple, then this won't work out. If you're not willing to prioritize your calling to be my disciple in a place of primacy in your life, then this isn't going to work. And we shouldn't get too focused on the notion of rejecting family because most times the, the clearest way to honor the Lord and obey Jesus is to love and to serve our family. What we need to see is that Jesus is, is his invitation here to being his disciple requires dismantling and destroying the idol of ourselves. To be a Christian means that we tear down the idol. That we lay it aside and we lose our identity in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The thing we deny, that idol, is ourself. And we lay that down. To be a, a follower of Jesus involves laying us down, but it also involves taking something up. Namely, our cross. He says, you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, when referring to the cross, Jesus here is not talking about some temporary or relatively minor discomfort you might have to endure. You know, we've all heard people use that phrase. Well, we all have our cross to bear when they're talking about, you know, being forced to wear a mask in, in a grocery store or having to walk to the bus stop or something. We all have our cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about. You see, there would have been no question to these first century Jewish, Jewish disciples that this is a metaphor taken from Rome, the Roman practice of crucifixion. Which is to say that when Jesus says, take up your cross, he was offering a metaphor of death and execution. And it was the most brutal and dishonorable form of death that was conceived at the time. Taking up your cross carried the image of a condemned man struggling under the weight of his own death. Carrying the cross beam that he would be uh, hung on. Walking up to the place of his final shame and dishonor. And as Alistair Begg noted, the whole crowd watching this final death march knew that this man possessed a one-way ticket. He was walking towards something that he would never come back from. And what a beautiful depiction of the life of a Christian disciple. Through faith, we participate in the death of Christ. We are dead to sin, dead to myself, dead to the principles of this world. And a sense of all-in devotion, that putting my hand to the plow, I will not turn back. That I have a one-way ticket, that my path is forward in the footsteps of Jesus, and there is no returning for me. And like that old song says, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. That, Jesus says, that is what the life of a disciple looks like. 
So we lay ourselves down. We take up our cross and we follow Jesus. We walk in his steps. We walk in his path. We stay close to him. We follow where he leads. And in that way, the places he goes, the things he does, the kind of treatment he receives is what we can expect to receive as well. The path to glory leads through humility and suffering. It will be that way for us as well. Jesus says, he describes for us the calling of discipleship in those terms. In a laying aside or a setting down and a taking up. We set ourselves down, we lay aside ourselves, and we take up the cross of Jesus. Another way Jesus describes the Christian disciple's life is in terms of winning and losing. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 35, where he, he says, if Whoever is going to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What is he saying here? If someone is, is focused on saving and preserving his own life, in the end he's going to lose it all. Because the goal is Christ and his gospel, not my own comfort or even my own self-preservation. Not my own dreams, not my own goals. It is entirely possible, and I would suggest that many in the church could know this from first-hand experience. It is entirely possible to achieve all the goals that we've set and still find ourselves empty and with a sense of loss. It is entirely possible to achieve everything we want and have nothing that we need. And Jesus says, listen... If you give all of your efforts to self-preservation and to saving your own life, in the end, you will lose it all. But there's another way to do this, he says. If you would be willing to lay down your life and count your previous pursuits as nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, like Paul told us to do, then in the end, we may not have attained all of our goals, but we will find true and eternal life. The life of the Christian disciple is a life that is laid down in service to King Jesus. And in losing our lives, we find our salvation. He said, if you're so focused on saving your life, you're going to lose it. Because listen, in the end, we all die. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. Every one of us will die physically. And in the end, if we have given our entire lives to storing up treasures here and to preserving our own interests here, we will die physically and have nothing to look forward to. We will lose it all. But in the end, if we lose ourselves here, if we lay ourselves down, if we surrender all of our rights and our privileges, in, in, and we find our identity wrapped up in the calling of Jesus Christ, then we will, we will find our lives saved by grace and through faith. And Jesus continues with this theme in verse 36 and 37. He talks here about life in terms of financial gain. Which is a huge portion of our plans and our goals, isn't it? So much of our existence is invested in making sure that we have the financial resources to live the way that we want to live. And Jesus tells us, again, it is possible to gain the whole world or lots and lots of wealth. It is possible to gain lots and lots of wealth and yet forfeit your soul. It is possible to 
gain all that you desire and in the end have nothing that really satisfies you. And you might have all the money or you might have all the gifts and goods that money can buy. But you might not have the one thing that life is really about. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to give your entire life to one pursuit to attain all of your goals and die without Christ. It reminds me of that parable that Jesus tells about the, the manager who had all the, all the money. He had all this stuff. And he, and with all of his great wealth, he thought about what he should do with it. And he pursued bigger barns. He, he created a bigger storehouse so he could keep all of his stuff. And Jesus said, you're a fool. Tonight your life is required of you. What good is it? If we gain the whole world and lose our souls. And if ever there was a question that is more fitting and appropriate for a, for a church. The, the American church needs to hear that question. What good will it be if we attain all of our financial goals and lose our own soul in the process? Or what good would it be if we gain everything we ever want and lose our family in the process? Lose our integrity in the process? Lose our self-respect in the process because we've compromised? What good is it if we have all that this world can offer us and don't have Jesus? What gain is there? And the implication is there's none. There is no gain in that. And then Jesus says, what can a man give in return for his soul? This is a challenging one. Some of you might think that you can, you can defer payment until later. Like a student loan or something. Like I, if I focus in this season on this one thing, I can get back to my soul at a later date. So I'll, I'll be like a sort of a halfway follower of Jesus for a while. While I'm building my business and, and building our family, I'll be a halfway follower of Jesus. And then sometime later, I'll make up for it. Now, now, life might work that way when you're paying off zero interest credit cards. But it doesn't work that way in God's economy. You won't have anything in that day with which to exchange your soul. Did you hear that? If you seek to defer payment and invest in other things now hoping to get to your spiritual life later, you will amass for yourself great wealth and resource, but in the end, you don't have currency with which to trade. You have nothing to give to God in exchange for your soul. The life of a Christian disciple is marked by a new vision of what it means to win and to lose. And the great paradox of the gospel is that in dying I can live and in losing my life I will find it. What that means for us could not be more challenging. It means that the call of the Christian disciple is not to pursue every dream and aspiration that ever came through your head. The call of the Christian disciple is to take captive all of those thoughts and dreams and submit them to Jesus and ask, what would you have me to do? We must be willing, if we're going to be his disciples, we must be willing to lay it all down for the joy of following him. And finally, Jesus talks about discipleship in terms of shame and honor. 
The life of, Christian, of a Christian disciple is a life of profession. We profess faith in Christ. And we profess that faith within clear hearing and in clear view of other people. The Christian disciple is bold in his witness. Now that doesn't mean he's a jerk. It doesn't mean he's unnecessarily rude or harsh. It means he's gentle in, his, in giving his answer with boldness and clarity. But, but he's unashamed to be named among Christ's followers. He, the Christian disciple is unashamed to be, to be known as a Christian. And Jesus says, if someone is ashamed of him in public, if somebody doesn't want to be named among the followers of Jesus in public, if somebody bows to the fear of the crowd, if somebody will not claim him or his words, his message of the gospel, if somebody refuses to identify with Jesus because of the fear and the shame that comes upon them, Jesus says, when I return, I will be ashamed of you. <laughs> Jesus says, if you are ashamed to be my follower, then you're not really my follower. Did you catch that? That's what he's saying. If, if taking upon yourself the name of Jesus is too great a burden for you to carry in the crowds of this world, if being named a follower of Jesus and a member of his church is too much for you to carry and you're ashamed of that identity, then you don't really know Jesus. That's what he's saying. And when I return, I won't know you. You won't be named among me. Now this, this is not to communicate fear on the part of the disciple that Jesus is going to kick him out, but it is to set the expectation early that the life of the disciple involves inherently the scorn and the ridicule, maybe even the persecution from the crowds that don't know Jesus. Jumping into this boat with him will not always be smooth sailing. Okay, so what? What does this mean to us what are we to make of this call to discipleship? And, and I have to be honest with you guys, Newtown Road, I could say so much right here. I, I thought about breaking this into multiple messages because there was just so much I wanted to say and I was having a hard time trimming it down. But, but here's, what, here's what I think this message tells us today. The first thing is that this passage brings us a, a serious confrontation to what we would call more cultural views of Christianity, right? We, we would say that this, this message brings a confrontation to cultural views of Christianity. The notion of cheap grace, or, or the notion that faith doesn't show up in the life of its possessor. No, the call of discipleship is going to have a drastic effect on the life of the disciple. Because he's laid himself down and taken up his cross and followed Jesus. This passage confronts cheap grace. It confronts the, what we call the syncretism of pop culture Christianity. And some of you are like, wait a minute, what, what does that mean? It, it's a view of religion that sees the way of Jesus as just something I pull off the buffet and add to my plate. I carry it with my other religious convictions, but it is not necessarily the ultimate priority in my life. Just a nice addition. 
a helpful upgrade. And that is not at all what Jesus says about discipleship. Following Jesus isn't just one of the other many hats you wear. It is the only hat that you wear. And everything else takes its cue from that leader. Our understanding of who Jesus is and our willingness to follow him faithfully and obediently and submissively drives all the other things in our life. And too often we look at Christianity as something we just pull off the buffet and add to our plate. And we set it, as, set it alongside of our American ideology. We set it alongside of our uh, efforts at, at um, working hard. We set it alongside of our desire to be well resourced and well liked. And we think I can get the best of both worlds. I can have one foot in the church and one foot in my dreams and my desires and everything is good. And Jesus says, no, no, it's not good. That's not the life of Christian discipleship. Because you've not laid yourself down. You've not taken up the cross. And in that way, it provides a confrontation also to self-driven faith. Guys, some of us for far too long have been straddling the fence between the things of this world and the things of God. And this passage demands a choice. And I know how that feels. I've been there before. Trying to, trying to build up for myself all that this world has to offer and yet somehow still trying to keep an anchor to the church and, in, and to my faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't work that way. This passage confronts those of us who view discipleship in that way. It demands that we make a choice. You can't serve two masters. It demands that you make a choice, honor Jesus, and serve him. But this passage also offers us an invitation. It brings a confrontation to that kind of religion, but it offers us an invitation to the most amazing life that you've ever imagined. A life where laying myself down, I find my true identity in Jesus. And it's a richer, fuller expression of my uniqueness in the image of God. A life where following in the footsteps of the good shepherd will lead me through suffering all the way to glory. A life where the greater pursuit of God actually overwhelms all the lesser pursuits of this world. The lesser pursuits of the other passions in my life. What about you? Have you responded to that invitation? Have you become a disciple of Jesus? Have you denied yourself and laid yourself down to take up your cross and to follow him? Have you become unashamed and bold before the, the eyes of this world and the ears of this world? Are you walking with him? There were two things that really stood out as I was studying and praying about this particular part of the message. And the first is, is Jesus' words in Luke 14. When Jesus offers the invitation to his disciples in Luke 14, he adds this. He says, which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. When considering the call to Christian discipleship, one should ponder well what it means. If our view of discipleship doesn't include a commitment to honor Jesus as Lord and lay ourselves down in his service, 
If it doesn't include a willingness to endure dis- dishonor and for the sake of his glory, then, then what we're saying is that we don't have enough resource to build the tower. That's what we're saying. If, if the call of discipleship and the cost is too great for us to pay, then we don't have enough to start down this road. Being a Christian disciple according to Jesus looks like that. Like laying ourselves down. First counting the cost and then building the tower. The second thing that stood out was what a tall order this is. This is quite a requirement. This is an extreme commitment to ask of someone. But isn't it reasonable? I mean, it's, it's not reasonable if Jesus is just a normal guy, but we have just seen through the first eight chapters of Mark's gospel that Jesus has been demonstrating clearly his identity. He has power over disease and illness, power over the spiritual realm, authority to preach and teach, power over life and death. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in view of who he is, the life of discipleship is the only fitting option. If Jesus is the supreme King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator who has come now on a rescue mission, if he has that kind of power, that kind of authority, then who else would we live for? Ourselves? Really? If Jesus is really that greater good, if Jesus is really that treasure hidden in a field, that pearl of great price, then those of us who discover him would sell everything to purchase it. Isn't that what the parable teaches us? That the kingdom was like that, a man who found hidden in the field a treasure and he sold everything that he had to purchase the land so he could possess the treasure. Isn't that what the call to discipleship is about? Jesus is the supremely good savior who fills our greatest need, who reconciles us to God through the death that he died on the cross of Calvary so that we, men and women who were steeped in trespass and sin, can be made righteous and holy in his sight and have eternal life. Isn't that worth laying our lives down for? I would say yes, it is. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. In view of the mercies of God, Paul tells us, present yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your reasonable act of worship. It's a tall order and it's a bit extreme, but it's the only thing that makes sense if Jesus is who he says he is and if he has done what he says he has done. And Mark has just gone to great lengths for these first eight chapters to reveal to us that Jesus is exactly who he says he was. The Messiah the son of the living God. What do we do with that information? It demands a choice. I plead with you. I beg of you. If you've not yet chosen to yield your life to Jesus and to follow him as a disciple, let today be that day where you repent. You deny yourself and turn away. Take up your cross through faith, believing in Jesus and follow him. Let today be that day where where it all changes for you. Be willing, my friends, to lay everything down for the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God and its power in our lives. Thank you for the call of discipleship that reached us at just the right time. 
Thank you for for giving us the faith to believe and the strength and the courage to step out. Lord, remind us again today that the calling to be your disciple is a tall task. And it involves a death to self and a living to righteousness. It involves a, a willingness to embrace dishonor so that we might receive glory in the next life. It, it involves for us a radical altering of what it means to win or lose here in this world. I pray that we as a church would be a congregation full of committed disciples who have no problem denying ourselves, our agendas, our goals and aspirations in order to attain your agenda, your mission, your goal. And in pursuit of that, God, I pray that you would give us an abundance of joy. I pray that you would mobilize our church family to reach our neighbors with this message of the gospel. I pray for those watching who have never made that decision that today would be the day where they would weigh the options clearly, that they would count the cost and understand what it takes. And with a clear mind, under the direction of your Holy Spirit, they would choose to turn away from sin and turn to you. That they would take up their cross and commit their lives to following you as a disciple. And Lord, as we have been walking with you, some of us for many years, we thank you that the way has not always been easy, but your presence has always been good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Newtown Road, thank you once again for joining in with us this morning. It is a great joy and a privilege to come into your homes week after week. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Keep in mind, Sunday morning, June 14th, 10 a.m., right here on our church property. We're going to host an outdoor service and hopefully be able to see some of you then. Um, we'll have some more information for you next week about those things. Until then, stay faithful in the Word of God. Stay faithful in your calling. Keep growing in the Lord. We are not bound by a pandemic. The message of the gospel still has great power. And we are growing in, in the Lord as we pursue His calling, even in pandemic. We miss you guys. We're praying for you. We love you. We cannot wait to see you again. Hopefully, we'll be able to connect with you June 14th. Until then, I love you guys. Take care. We'll see you next time.